Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And it is our first episode of the new year, officially. Woo! Uh, happy 2023, everybody. Yeah, it's not as pretty sounding as 2022, but... No, not quite, but... But here we are, 2023, the year I turned 30. We. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we took a little bit of a week off to kind of um, do some some planning and some prep for some things. Uh, get some stuff ready to go for the new year. Um, uh, but we're officially back, and to kind of piggyback off of uh, where we were with where we left off, mm-hmm. you know, our final episode of of last season, last year, I guess, was um, Fablemans. Mm-hmm. The new Spielberg picture. And you recently uh, were talking with me and you had thrown out the idea of us doing a month dedicated to a filmmaker and their filmography. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that, you know, it seems as good a time as any to celebrate, you know, or recognize a filmmaker. January is, you know, considered a doldrum. However, Um, that's not actually proving to be the case right now in the box office. We'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my, my thought was why not go and then start off the year by sort of celebrating the last filmmaker that, that we did, who's one of the, you know, the last working legends, you know, him, Scorsese, um, Cameron, you know, um, Steven Spielberg is an icon. Yeah. And he's touched generations. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, Steven Spielberg and his movies are are um, universally recognized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of going off of that, it seemed like a great opportunity to sort of take that idea that you had thrown out um, and, and combine that with, with a Film Buds content month. Yeah. So all January, we're going to be celebrating... Uh, and recognizing and reviewing the filmography of uh, one Steven Allen Spielberg. Um, but before we get going into all of that, uh, dear, how is 2023 treating you so far? And um, are there any movies that you're looking forward to this year? Oh, gosh, that's a that's a great question about movies that I'm interested in watching this year. Um I mean, I guess so far we're only, we're only, you know, in the first few weeks of January at the moment, 2023. Um, I guess my, my year is going good. Um, you know, uh, so far so good. Can't, can't complain. (laughs) Good. Um, but like as for, as for movies that I'm looking forward to this year, I'm definitely looking forward to, to going to see, um, Megan, um, the, the new Magic Mike movie sounds fantastic. I'm honestly looking forward to seeing, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Cocaine Bear sounds great. Um, the new Creed movie, I'm, I'm, I'm interested if only just because, um, of the fact of who's in it, mm-hmm. you know, um, the sixth Scream movie is coming out, which is going to be set in New York, which is going to, it's going to be fun, you know, um, I have, I have no idea what that is. The John Wick Chapter Four movie, fantastic. Um, not looking forward to to the Mario movie. Gosh, we are seeing ads for the Mario movie constantly. Months every movie, out. every movie. Yeah, you know that movie's not coming out until April. 
Yeah, we are we are getting inundated with that bad boy. That's 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 ridiculous. Um, I am looking forward to the new Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse movie that is like a multi-Spider-Man spider movie. As yeah, it's well like as a Citadel of Ricks but, Spider-Man thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like, yeah, this year, um, Barbie sounds fantastic. Um, this year sounds really great for for movies. I'm not gonna lie. Um. And I am looking forward to the stuff that's coming out this year. Um, um, no, I think that that's all fair. Um, I agree with you. You know, I think that this year has started strong. You know, um, we we kicked off 2023 with our first movie in theaters being a rewatch of Avatar The Way of Water. Mm-hmm. That was literally what we did New Year's Day. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. January 1st, 2023, we, we, we saw James Cameron's The Way of Water. Um, fantastic picture. Great way to re like to to start cinema again. Oh gosh, you know, yeah, with a second watch of one of my favorite movies of twenty twenty two. So good, so good. And then we just recently saw the Puss in Boots movie. Which, I was just about uh, to say, yeah, um, was phenomenal. Really have no notes for that film. Another twenty twenty two movie. You know, it came out um in December, late December. It was like a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. But I think that that again fits because watching it it's kind of a Scrooge story. It's all about um recognizing the value of what you have and about how toxic it is to not realize how you can have so much and squander it. Mm-hmm. Um which is also I think why the the moral the ethical bug uh, you know, is is a Jimmy Stewart impression. Um, mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed it because he's, you know, it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with you, you know, like 2023 has been starting off well enough um, overall. Um, but also as far as like movies that we've already seen in theaters, I've really enjoyed what we've seen, even if it was like some 2022 holdovers. Um, as far as the new year, um I'm desperately excited for Knock at the Cabin, even though old wasn't great. Um, because I will go to every M. Night movie in theaters. Let me tell you what, I'm going to go every single time. Because whether it's good or bad, it's always going to be an experience. Oh, it's a ride, man. Um, I actually hold out that The Happening is maybe one of the best comedies that... Uh, I don't think it's meant to be a comedy. Don't worry about that. I literally don't. I think it's don't. one of the best horror comedies that we have. Just because you think it's funny, it does not mean that M. Night <laughs> went into that thing and was like, this is going to make people chuckle. I hey, know it. I feel hey, it in my hey, M. Night hey, bones. Hey, Tommy Wiseau didn't mean to make the people laugh at the room. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So just because it is what it is does not mean that that that, that means that everybody believes that. That doesn't negate my enjoyment. Well, um, I, I'm not I'm not trying to negate your enjoyment. And so I I will I will happily go to any any M Night experience. And you're um, totally just going to see Dave Bautista. Hell yeah, and Jonathan Groff. Yeah, these are the facts. Hell yeah, uh, on a bet. And Ron Ron Weasley himself. Oh my gosh. Rupert Grint. Coming back on his um first official like time back really. Yeah, like the, on the big the screen. You know, he's he been was, doing TV. Yeah, he was doing that show. He was on the Snatch TV show for a little while. Um, he's been doing some other TV stuff. Um, but this is his first big movie role in a while. And so like there are a lot of reasons that I'm very excited about this movie. I mean, he just had a kid, he needs money. <laughs> They're expensive. That's um, right. 
mouths to feed, man. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. No, for sure. Uh, I am also, of course, looking forward to Magic Mike's The Last Dance. I am so enticed by this idea that it's ending with a supposed half-hour dance sequence. Fuck yeah. Um, I couldn't be more excited. I am here for it. <laughs> I am so ready for this movie. Hell yeah. I am going to this movie in theaters, people. In theaters. Hell yeah. And you can't stop me. Absolutely not. Um, Cocaine Bear is absolutely going to be a hoot and a half. That's my kind of um, ridiculous disaster cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm really interested um, in in watching that one play out. You know, I've seen some of, but not all of the Rocky movies. Okay, I think that I'm probably in the same boat. I want to see Creed and Creed 2. Yeah. And I own, if I'm not mistaken over there, Creed. Okay. Um, but I still haven't watched it yet. And so You've I've never really... seen Creed? But no. You... Okay. And so I would really like to watch... Well, we've definitely got to, to watch... Creed and Creed 2 before going to Creed 3. Yeah, none of it's going to make any sense. <laughs> um, it might make enough sense. I mean, it might because it's, it's, it's Pablum, but it's good Pablum, you know? Um, I am going to go and see Scream 6... I am more excited about it because it has Hayden. I am less excited because Five Cream wasn't exactly as great as I wanted it to be. And maybe that's my own expectations about what the movie was going to be. But I think um, that this is going to be the the actual, like, the Movie torch. that I wanted. Yeah, exactly. I feel like they gave us the whole, all the fan bait for the last one. Now they're like, all right. We're doing your... a real movie now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like how they did with Black Widow. Oh, yeah, I guess. Um, John Wick Chapter 4, Always and Forever, will go to. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, I don't want to watch, um, but I can't wait to see how people react to it. Oh, that's fair, that's fair. I didn't know that that was happening, and I'm not excited for it. Um, Renfield, couldn't be more pumped. We're getting Nicolas Cage as Dracula. Sign me up. Oh, 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 well, that sounds exciting. Um, Evil Dead Rise, I will always go to an Evil Dead movie. I loved Evil Dead 2013. It was a surprise, uh, incredible remake. You know, like, it really blew me away. It's memorable. Mm -hmm. You know, I still think about some of the violence of that film and how intimidating and and, and graphic it was. Um, Fast 10, fuck yeah. Hell yeah to Fast 10. Wow, they really are finally taking a a bite and and finally putting out that um, underwater movie, the aerial uh, Little Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Yeah, it's finally happening. God, it's been like five years. Um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, I am so pumped for. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I've got... Um, the Mondo poster for it. I'm looking at it right now. And so when I heard about sequels, you know, immediately signed on board, didn't need to see a trailer. And then I saw a trailer and I said, oh, Oscar Isaac is playing a maniac. Sign me up. Hell yeah. Um, and and I, I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man is truly one of my favorite, you know, of the Marvel characters because he has been more so than I think some of the other characters, just so varied, and his rogues gallery has such um, incredible breadth to it. More, you know, Spider-Man, I think, is really... You know, I know that everyone says that Iron Man is Marvel's Batman, but he doesn't have the same breadth of a rogues gallery. Spider-Man's Batman 
or uh, Marvel's Marvel's um, Batman is is Spider Man. You, you know, he's a, got. What do you mean by a rogues gallery? His villains. Copy. You know, Batman has this incredible breadth. You know, you can name probably two handfuls of Batman villains. Yeah, but I guess I don't think that they're maybe looking at it as, like, a villain quota. I think that no. they're looking at it as purely this rich guy who's using his no, wealth. No, of course. But I was just talking in terms of, like, the richness of storytelling and the way that the character has been able to constantly reinvent himself, you know. And I think that one of the reasons that his, his, uh, that Spider-Man and Batman have been able to go on so popularly for so long is also because of the fact that he's got great characters to play off of. Well, yeah, I think that that's fair, but I also think it's this weird relatability thing, where it's like, um, you know, Tony is the smartest man on Earth, also, on top of all of this. People can't relate to that. Um, I'm looking forward to the new Indiana Jones movie. Um, I'm looking forward to the new Mission Impossible movie. Part one, boo. Why are we seeing commercials for this now, guys? It's a Mission Impossible movie. It's like the 16th one. I don't think that they need action. I don't think that they need it. To build the hype train. The hype train already exists. No, I mean, you're dead right about that. <gasps> uh, excuse me. Um, I am looking forward to Barbie. Hell yeah. Uh, and honestly, I'm, I'm totally game to do a double feature that day at the theaters. Of Barbie and Oppenheimer? Yeah. That's such a choice. Yeah, I'll take time off work to do it, too. No, no, we're not. But we can. I mean, all right. Um, We'll do it on a day that's a holiday. I don't know. I don't know if there's a holiday that lands there, but we're going to pretend. I'm looking forward to Dune Part 2. You know, I liked Dune 1 well enough that I'm going to come back for Dune 2. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a really good Planet Earth about the deserts. Um, oh yeah, uh, Scorsese's upcoming Killers of the Flower Moon, which has, of course, uh... Is this a book? It is based on a book. Okay, okay. Um, and it has, um, DiCaprio, De Niro, um, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, John Lithgow, Brendan Fraser... So it's got an incredible cl- uh, cast, and, I, and I'm very excited about this one as well. Um, Napoleon, the upcoming um, Ridley Scott film that is supposed to be coming out in 2023. We'll see if that actually does happen or not. Um, is another one that I'm very excited for, because Ridley Scott doing history epics is great stuff. Um, as evidenced by The Last Duel from 2021. Yep. That's a fact. Um, so those are those are probably the things that I'm the most looking forward to currently in 2023. You know, I'm sure that there's more out there, um, but those are some of the big ones. Copy. Um, and so I guess with, with all that said, we should go ahead and uh, jump into our discussion on uh, Steven Spielberg. See. And so to begin, you know me, I had to go and do... A little bit of history for y'all. Welcome back. Uh, you know, if we're if we're going to properly dedicate a, a month to a filmmaker, then it needs to also have the right sort of context, the right setting. So Steven Allen Spielberg was born December 18th, 1946 in Cincinnati, Ohio. His mother is Leah Spielberg. His father is Arnold. Um, and... 
His father was a World War II uh, veteran, and uh, he was also an electrical engineer who worked on computers and in computer sciences. Uh, he worked in all sorts of different sectors. He even ended up working at RCA for a brief period of time, mm -hmm. uh, the Radio Corporation of America. Um, and his mother was a concert pianist. Um, he was, you know, raised as uh, an Orthodox Jewish child. Um, and his paternal grandparents were from Ukraine. Um, and so he actually also, beyond his father being a World War II veteran, uh, as he grew up, uh, he constantly heard about the war because his father's side of the family lost... Uh, over a dozen relatives estimated mm. uh, in the war. Um, if others survived, they just weren't heard from. Mm -hmm. um, but it's as many as potentially 20 that were lost. Um, and uh, he grew up for a brief period of time in Cincinnati and then New Jersey, but he actually spent a lot of his formative years uh, when his father got a job that moved the family out uh, to um, Phoenix, Arizona. And he spent a lot of his time out in Phoenix, Arizona, um, you know, out in the desert through his, his formative years, which he found very awkward. Uh, he was scared of a lot of different things. His mother was a woman who was scared of a lot of different things, apparently. His mother had a lot of phobias. And... Um, he similarly had some of that same anxiety mm -hmm. about things. And he also faced a lot of anti-Semitism uh, growing up in that time period. Um, and then he finally, you know, hit a point where his parents divorced um, after they had moved out to California. They moved out to L.A. His parents divorced. Um, he went to college and he wasn't a very good student, so he didn't get to go to any of the college that any of the colleges that he really wanted to. So he settled on a school, um, and he ended up leaving school and getting into the film business. Um, throughout his life, he had always been fiddling with cameras and making little short movies. Apparently his father was the one that got a camera, but his father's idea of a home movie was leaning out the car window while he was actively driving and recording the scenery that they were passing. Jesus. And that was his idea of a family movie, and he would invite people over to, like, watch that. Uh, <laughs> and so around the age of five or six, um, Stephen started picking up the camera and recording. Mm -hmm. You know, mostly it was probably whatever his dad was telling him to record. Um, but he started to go and, and film things, you know, and mm -hmm. he would record his own things and... Slowly that turned into him making short films. Um, and eventually in his teen years, on a budget of about $500, he went and made a 45-minute or so movie that they advertised in the local paper as, like, an independent film. And the movie made back its budget and $1. Oh! Uh, they charged everyone about uh, a buck a head. 
and about 500 people came out to see the movie. 501 people came out to see the movie. Fantastic. And uh, and so he ended up turning a profit on, on his first film. And that is also a film that ended up winning him an award and is one of the things that got him noticed as an early filmmaker. Uh, beyond that, he was also, of course, obsessed with film. And when the family moved out to L.A., he would spend um, three months of one summer sneaking onto the lot. He got a pass, you know, for a week or so um, after he snuck on one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ran into this executive. He, he very bluntly told him everything, you know, that he had snuck onto the lot. And he was like, well, come back tomorrow and don't sneak on. I'll write you a pass. And he wrote him a pass for about a week. And it was over, and he just kept on coming on to the lot. Um, and he was able to kind of do that for about three months before finally being um, caught. He got to watch Hitchcock direct a scene. Wow. Um, because he, he just walked into a soundstage. Um, As one does, naturally. And, uh, and that was sort of some of his upbringing. And... Um, he finally eventually got onto a film set, or, you know, onto a set. He got hired by CBS, by Sid Sheinberg. Um, and he was about 19 when he was hired. Ha! Huh, never would happen today, ever in a million years. And very quickly, he was onto directing television. Um, one of the first things that he directed... Um, uh, included Joan Crawford uh, in a in a television episode of Night Gallery, written mm-hmm. by Rod Serling, who was a part of um, Twilight Zone. Okay. Um, and then he went through and he directed episodes of Columbo, um, and and several other shows. Um. And he was also at this time known, you know, after being hired and working through this career, he was known as Scheinberg's Folly. Um, because he was this young gun that was signed to this huge contract for someone so young. Mm-hmm. And generally he was perceived as a director that did not know how to direct actors. Well, of course he didn't. He was seen He had barely as, gotten out of puberty. He was seen as a geeky kid who knew cameras and knew lenses and could shoot things well, but didn't have a clue how to really direct an actor. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of the old guard, he was called Scheinberg's Folly. Um, But he had gone and he directed TV and he was doing that well enough for a while. And his assistant came to him one day and said, there's this short story that is being propertied for a television picture. I think that you should read it. I think that it's right up your alley. I think that you would be interested in it. Give it a read. Um, you know, it's not with us. It's with someone else. But if you're interested, I can make a call to that person and we can get a meeting arranged. Okay. So he sat down and he read the script. Uh, or he read the, the short story and it was Duel. Mm. And he was enthralled by it. This idea, you know, of this man pursued by this faceless foe. Um, And it was kind of in the vein of some of the stuff that he was interested in. And, you know, he liked this sort of working class vibe to it. And so he told his assistant to make the call. And the guy that branded him Scheinberg's Folly was, was 
or one of the people who branded him Scheinberg's Folly, was one of the guys producing this picture. Fantastic. And so he got on the phone with him and he said, listen, I'm very interested in making this movie. I would like to sit down and, and talk with you about it. So they sat down, they worked it out, and they landed on a deal. And so he ended up going and, and shooting the movie. It ended up being uh, a theatrical release here in the United States. And then it went on to be a theatrical release internationally. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, well, where we'll leave it right up into our review for Duel. Amazing. Uh, so Duel came out in 1971. It is, it is written by Richard Matheson. He adapted his own short story of the same name. It was part of the ABC Movie of the Week back in November of 1971. Movie uh, of the Week? Yeah, they would go and do a TV Movie of the Week. Oh, interesting. And so this was part of the ABC Movie of the Week program back then. Mm. Um, and the premise of the film uh, is a salesman uh, on his way to, com- to make a commute uh, finds himself chased and terrorized by an unseen semi-truck driver. Mm-hmm. Um. It stars David Mann, or it stars uh, Dennis Weaver as David Mann, excuse me. Um, and that's really pretty much the main cast of the movie. Like, there it's are other actors, but, like, it's pretty much just... It's just him. Dennis Weaver is David Mann. Yeah. Um, uh, and the original short story, as a fun fact, was published in Playboy. Oh, well, that makes sense. And Spielberg had actually read it previously mm-hmm. uh, in Playboy itself. Scandalous. Um, and so with all of that said, with all of that history and that background and them having listened to me ramble for a while, dear, what did you think of Duel? I thought this movie was very successful. I really enjoyed it a lot. I liked this almost like if you had written this script down, it would have taken up five pages front and back. You know, it's it's really... Yeah, um, it's like a 15-pager. It's really simple and purely in the sense that there's not a lot actually happening in the sense that like he would have to write out pages of dialogue and like stage actions and this that and the other no it's it's all about sitting in this man's perspective yeah i mean like dunkirk was like a 45 page Mm -hmm. script or some shit like Mm -hmm. that this is not this is absolutely not for Mm -hmm. the like hour and a half film that it is Mm -hmm. or 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 however long it is it's it's somewhere around the 90 minute it's a 91 minute movie fantastic fantastic rated pg rated pg indeed like this movie nowadays would have definitely been slapped pg-13 we can still get away i think maybe with a pg on it i think that this would be pg-13 purely because of the violence the sense of terror yeah exactly motorized terror pg-13 for motorized terror exactly exactly some made up some made up thing exactly like that made motorized terror indeed that sounds absolutely fake but they'd slap it on a movie tomorrow um no but i really i really enjoyed this movie a lot it reminded me of um of maximum overdrive which came out um later um which i feel like is very influenced by this movie but it was also probably a little bit this movie is the serious version of that one maximum overdrive is funny 86 
15 years later. Yeah, Ma- Maximum Overdrive is hysterical. It's a, it's a good romp of a, of a ride where you're really sitting in this man's terror. And, and like him, you're not understanding why you've kind of been targeted by this person. You know, because this truck has allowed several people to pass it in order to, pr- to continue his pursuit of David Mann. You know, and what makes this, this guy the thing that, that really pissed him off. And it, it really raises a lot of questions about um, what what about him you know i guess tipped him in this direction you know it wasn't the old people he didn't turn on the old people that drove pie he it's, it's this guy in like a sports car almost this like nice hot rod bright red you know while he's driving his his dingy um semi truck that is is half rusted out and the other half is dirt um and i think that it's it's maybe a little bit of this like um what did what did you call it earlier? This 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 um upstairs and downstairs drama. Mm. You know this well the the haves and the haves not. Yeah, we were talking about like Glass Onion and the Menu and and some mm-hmm. of the other movies that came out this year and and we were talking about um the the basis of of wealth inequality mm-hmm. as a narrative form. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like very prevalent in this film as well because it's it's we don't ever go masculinity in. and wealth. Yeah, 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 yeah. This this kind of um, what what is what is I guess um road rage, uh, what is beneficial about it? It's it's what is what is a being in a car give to people that like being on the ground doesn't you know especially when you are um not one who does you know physical violence, you are now in this this vehicle that gives you power. And like this guy is in a is in a semi truck. He is in the mo- the biggest vehicle of power. You know he can do the most damage to anybody in this, and he takes it out on this guy who he feels like has has done him wrong in the most benign of ways. But for him is this huge you know a um, uh, 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 slap to the face of a of a kind. And I, I found this movie to be very successful in this in this sense of terror of whether or not our 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 protagonist is actually gonna survive this this duel with this faceless semi driver. No, absolutely. Um Duel is a movie that I've heard more about than I've ever seen. I've never seen Duel. This was my first time watching it. Mm. Um I had seen some bits and pieces of Duel throughout the year, but I've never, it's never been one that I've sat down and watched mm-hmm. start to finish. Um, in my, in my research, you know, sort of leading up to this, I, I had seen that one particular critic labeled it, um, the best like debut film of a filmmaker ever. Okay. 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 Um, you know, that it, it showed really his, his sort of innate mastery of the medium. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is definitely fair, you know, as far as TV movie goes, especially by 70s standards at that particular point, like, he's breaking ground. Oh, I yeah, definitely see is... why they were like, we can put this things in theaters internationally. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think they could have gotten away with putting it in theaters in America. No, honestly, like uh, domestically. I don't I don't see any any reason why this film is is labeled as a as a TV movie. Um I think that this movie hits at the same sort of angst to a degree, you know, you were talking about the upstairs downstairs drama of it all. I think that it hits at the same sort of even if it is 71 frustration stagflation economic woes 
that underpins some of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a gas truck, mm-hmm. you know, that he's following behind. It's spewing fumes, and he's, oh, well, that's good for the environment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has this similar sort of underpinning of this weird clash conscious, uh, class consciousness uh, and, and environmentalism and this sort of, you know, urbanite and therefore also somewhat effeminate as, you know, played out, you know, the, the, his entire intro. Mm-hmm. We're listening to this elaborate monologue of a man on the radio Talking about how he's not the head of his household. But how he feels ashamed about that and doesn't and want so, to know. Should he lie on the forms? Should he not lie on the forms? Does it you matter? Know, what to does anybody, all of that mean? You know, yeah. And so I think that you've got a lot of those same sort of um, you know, sociological underpinnings that play in this narrative. And I think that that all is also, um, you know, uh correlated with with that his phone call with his own wife you know this the fact that she is over here you know basically being like you are going to be home you are going to do these things and he basically just kind of tells her yes dear but also what's really interesting is this idea that she was mad at him because they went to a party the night before he's calling her to apologize Mm -hmm. because they went to a party the night before and she felt like she was essentially sexually harassed, sexually assaulted by potentially his boss or at least someone that they know mm-hmm. mutually. And she felt that he didn't do enough in the way of her honor. Yeah. Um, and so what's also really interesting is I did decide it's called dual. So I did look up dual just by pure definition. Mm-hmm. A contest with deadly weapons arranged between two people to settle a point of honor. And so I think what's really interesting is that for him, this duel is imbued with everything that is sort of funneling him to this point of being challenged in a way that he didn't expect to be challenged. Mm -hmm. He used his turn signal, Mm -hmm. checked to make sure it was safe, moved around the truck that was moving slower than him, and went about his life. This guy decided to target him because for him, he's sort of the perfect yuppie scum. Yeah, yeah. He's everything that that he doesn't like about this world that he's in right now. You know, this guy who gets preferential treatment. And so they are both being fueled in this duel by honor, but not really... In a fight that's fueled directly at each other, but is underpinned by the the sociological point of their time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is just the, the, the tipping point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, You mm-hmm. know. Um, He's fed up. He's at his wit's end. Mm-hmm. You know, in his own different way. And now they're at this weird point whereby our hero is having to prove that he is a man. Mm-hmm. That he is capable, that he is willing, that he is able, and our villain is fueled by everything that is a toxic idea, mm-hmm. you know, sort of in, in, embodied in this idea of this this toxin-spewing truck. Yeah, no, um, honestly, like, 
good job. Good job, Steven. I'm I'm very impressed by this. It doesn't feel, I guess, like a Steven movie, but other than, like... The fact it feels all, like a horror movie. Like, there are even some shots where it's, like, a canted, you know, sort of angle, and it almost looks a little bit Raimi-esque. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, um, the, the, the whole opening shot. There are some real horror shot. shots in this. The whole opening shot of us following um, the car from, from the, like, the literal hood perspective... Of driving yeah, down like the, the road. Yeah, like the license plate. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. you're close to the road. Mm-hmm. And just just going on this commute while listening to this this talk show. You know, this this ask Betsy Sue show about your life. You know, um, oh gosh, I, I don't remember what the names of those things were. Um, but the mm-hmm. you would like go into the magazine and like mm-hmm. tell them all about what's going on in your relationship. Yeah, letter to the letter to the editor sort of columns. You yeah, know. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, no, honestly, I feel, I feel like this film is very successful. Um, and, and does, I think, prove the point that he, he did know cameras and lenses and shots and, and things, you know, he did know how to technically make a film. And honestly, I think that, because he has he has such a he has such a center point on this one person it also feels very intimate and very um you know real as well i liked the fact that at the end of the day you don't know if this man was almost going crazy or not you know at a certain extent like you know that this guy was chasing him down but also like you start to to go with the the everybody else is just seeing bits and pieces of it and going well this guy is a whack job mm-hmm you know, he's got to be just crazy. You know, no truck is going to run you off the road. What are you talking about? Yeah, like, until it really becomes absolutely, you know, black and white obvious, yes, he is not imagining any of it. Mm-hmm. You do have a little bit of that nebulous gray zone. There is another world, I think, based on this movie in particular. I think there's another world where Spielberg ends up if he if if he had been pushed in the right direction doing more horror thriller type of stuff well i think that um cuz this is as good as texas chainsaw this is as good as halloween mhm i mean i guess in a certain stint like that doesn't really go away like i think that jaws is a is a scary movie no but pretty much since then what else no true very 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 fair um you know parts of et are terrifying Parts of his movies do continue to have that right element, mm-hmm. but he has never again made a movie for me that is so start to finish about dreading something. No, and I think that that's totally that's totally correct. Jurassic Park, maybe. I yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to 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 spitball really. Yeah, no, I I, and I totally get where you're at, but you know, it's something that he hasn't leaned into as well that he did incredibly effectively and i think it's so interesting that he talks about himself as being someone who's afraid of a lot of things as someone who's very neurotic you know as someone very cautious um and yet he's never really engaged in that aspect of filmmaking i think that actually maybe because of his own innate fear he maybe could have been an incredibly effective well that means that you have to face your fear ah true true you know, and at the end of the day, the Stephen also is very um, the quoted saying that he was never going to take therapy. Yeah, which is also a confrontation of self. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh. You know, and and you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, this guy doesn't necessarily change, but he does affirm 
that he is a man. Yeah, exactly. Because in his success, we also, you know, we feel that success with him because at every turn, honestly, this movie um, found new and creative ways of keeping these two stuck in this duel for this extended period of time. Like, I found that really, really successful. You know, every time I was like... It's not the same type of car interaction every time. It's not just a a bumper brawl every 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. There were ways where I was like, well, there's no way, you know, eventually this guy is going to give up. You know, you know, oh, he's just trying to block the road right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all he's doing. It's yeah. This I'm just going to keep blocking you. Yeah, exactly. It's not this I'm going to try and run you into a train mm-hmm. thing. You know, I'm going to actively try and kill you. You know, there is a, a point where it's like maybe he's just trying to intimidate him. But then there's a line that is crossed and that is. Palpable. And then suddenly it becomes almost like. The driver becomes insatiable in chasing that sense of power that he has found whereby he is loving the ways in which he can escalate it yeah and he's causing this guy actual terror and like at a certain extent this man could be a murderer he's maybe you you honestly are kind of left with this almost hanging question i think of has he done this before? Kind of like um that movie that we watched. Death with... Proof, the yes. Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes, yes, yes. He's done this before. Yeah. This is a slasher movie with a car. Exactly, exactly. And I think that that's the, why this movie is so successful. Mm-hmm. You know, and why his stalking of this man is so eerie is because of the fact that he has done this before. You know, he knows all the tips and tricks of how somebody is going to try and get away from him. Mm-hmm. And he owns this highway. He knows this route. Yeah, because he trucks it all of the time because of his job. Mm-hmm. And people don't bother him. No, yeah, about but this how guy, long it takes him. Yeah, but this guy bothered him. Mm-hmm. And he was going to pay for that, surprisingly, with his life. But you know, some people going to go to extremes. That's why it's really road rage at at maximum overdrive levels. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I, I, and I think that it's. It takes a real scenario. You drive down the road. Someone honks at you. Okay. You drive down the road. Someone honks at you, gives you the finger, you know, is is you know, calling you every everything but a everything but a Christian, you know, through the through the glass. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. But then every once in a while you do, I think, you know, you, you, you hear about those stories or you see those instances where it's like, why is that person acting like that? Like, this is actively aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like, you are trying to do something. Mm-hmm. And so then you hear these stories, you know, of someone pulled a gun. Someone was ran off the road. Yeah. And so it's this innately natural fear that he does really tap into here. And this escalation of that fear in a way that also never feels inorganic, you know, even though it it finally reaches this like insane endpoint to mm-hmm. a degree, it never doesn't feel like it earns that point. No, 
for sure, honestly, because I think that the, the big fiery ending is is exactly what's expected after all of the things that this, this truck driver has put this man through. He has put him to the brink of being like, my only way out is to is to kill this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's him or me at this point. Yeah. Like he's literally driven us to this point of it is him or it is me. Mm-hmm. And that's insane. Yeah. No, honestly. Like that's bonker shit. <laughs> For sure. Um, but it, it never feels unearned. You know, you feel the same level of relief when David Mann wins the day as when Sheriff uh you know wins the day in in jaws mhm no yeah um because it's this this force that is tapping into this same sort of you know again the dna of duel and jaws and we've reviewed jaws previously mm-hmm. um on the show alongside uh flipper in the shallows yes yes it was it was a an exciting it was a it was a shark filled weekend yeah. Um and and so I think that like it is so effective because it is that that natural escalation that earns every build up point. Not unlike Texas Chainsaw, not mm-hmm. unlike Halloween. It's this really elegant natural ramp up to um you know, very intense finality. Yeah, no, I think it's really pulling on that same kind of fight or flight response as a big shark. Yeah. You know, or, you know, having aliens come down. You know, it's this, what, what, what is the, at the, in these, is tough scenario, where do you, as a person, what side are you going to be on? You know? And how is it presenting itself as mm-hmm. well? You know, is it coming as friend or foe? Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think it also, you know, this this movie I think also does hit at some of the, the paranoia and prejudices that people have mm-hmm. on both sides. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's, it's, it's really clever and poignant because it's also just a little bit before when some of those issues were really at their peak boiling point Mm -hmm. even in american Mm -hmm. context um and it's 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 very relevant even now yeah um so if you had to give duel a rating out of five what would you give it um i think i'm gonna give duel i can i'm gonna give duel a solid four okay um i think that at the end of the day, this movie is very effective, but also very simple, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think that his mastery of of the, the what shots he wants um, is more effective than like the the inner monologue stuff is weak. Yeah, it's it's tough in parts. Yeah, because I don't feel like it's connected. Not to... all the time what's actually well, the the visual contents that we're getting i, I and just we should have gotten it so much sooner yeah 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 because like he where it comes out of nowhere in the middle of the film yeah um and so like for for me i think that you know this is something that that is a, a great first start like a plus effort you know but like in the in the i guess the the scale of where i know him to go you know this is this is definitely it could use some tweaks yeah i'm gonna call it a three and a half just because for me even though it was thrilling 
it did feel every bit of that 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. It was a long hour and a half for me at times. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed the ride and it being, you know, a full 90 minute movie in every sense of its feeling isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But it is a thing. And I don't know that I loved it and I don't know if that was intentional. Interesting. Okay. No, again, I, I did feel that this movie was long. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and honestly, the parts in the car were probably the most interesting parts for me. I felt like the moments once we started, like, to get around other people, it started to become some weird bit about these other people. hmm You know, um, especially, like, the diner scene where he orders a cheese sandwich on rye, and she gives him something that's got, like, lettuce and tomatoes on it, and I'm so confused by that. So confused, but we're not. We're not going to get into that. Was, um, that looked disgusting, by the way. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a three and a half again. Okay. I think that it is an astounding debut, especially. But again, I think that he also does like iron out even some of his own narrative issues mm-hmm. with this in Jaws. Yeah. No. 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 For sure. I think that Jaws is the better version of Duel. Yeah, uh, and actually, I think that you could maybe even do a really interesting another version of of the dual narrative um i think that you could maybe bring it back and maybe do like um working class uh truck driver driving this almost docile whale-like figure vehicle flooded by like motorcycle gang oh interesting you know the sort of hive vehicle thing that's that's haunting this driver Oh, gosh. Sounds terrifying. Somebody else's problem to figure out cinematically. <laughs> no, an absolute bitch on the on the actual screen. No, like, yeah. A I was real like, pain in the ass to I really film. quickly tried to figure out how I would do that, and I was like, oh, gosh, just, like, I'm, major I'm overload. having an anxiety attack just thinking about, like, trying to film it. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just awful Tina Belcher noise. But I think that that could be, like, a really interesting way to, like, bring this story back and do it differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, turn the semi into this vulnerable vehicle mm-hmm. because of its size. Yeah. Um, targeted by, by a, a fleet a swarm. Interesting. Of, of small, but, but, but... Maneuverable mm-hmm. and deadly vehicle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, just as faceless and formless. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Biker gang. Yeah, exactly. You know, know. that's just their name. Biker gang. They're in helmets. Or they've got bandanas, you know, and so it's just uh, a faceless horde. Mm Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's in, like, set in, like, South Dakota or whatever, wherever the the Sturgis rally is. Ah, interesting. You're coming up with great ideas, see? Well, I was thinking, This is workshopping. Yeah, I was like, how do we we hide the fact that, you know, these bikers will also stop at places, Mm -hmm. but he won't be able to figure out who they are amongst the people, and I was like, we'll just make it a, a, everybody's a biker. Yeah, he stops at a biker bar. Yeah, exactly. Because it's the only thing that's on this road at this point. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a dive that's attached to a truck stop. I because like where you're at. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's it's a major it's a major thoroughfare. And and these are the types of people on this road. Exactly. I li- I like where you're at. I like where you're at. <laughs> um, it's right workshopping. We're doing it. No, I uh, I really enjoyed the movie though, and and. Um, as a, as a final little wrap up to our discussion, I actually wanted to bring up a 
uh, talking point that I brought up earlier, which is that January is typically a doldrum. Yes. So January, February, for those that don't know, even to a certain degree, March, are, are generally kind of viewed as underperforming periods. Okay. It's not the holiday season. It is not the summer movie season. Mm-hmm. It's this weird sort of awkward, nebulous period. Mm-hmm. Um, January is currently overperforming comparatively. Yes. Um, and a large part of what's fueling that are two movies. One of them is Avatar The Way of Water. That's right. Which uh, recently crossed 1.7 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, James Cameron is like the only director to have three movies over a billion dollars or something like that, you know, um, or 1.5 billion. You know, it's, it's, it's record-breaking. But then the other thing that has actually really been a big hit mm-hmm. that has been very surprising is um, Megan. Oh, yeah? Yay, good for Megan. The horror film Megan has been overperforming expectations. It did like 26.3 million this weekend. It was number one this weekend, if I'm not mistaken, in the U.S. or number two. Um, wow. It did, it did really phenomenally. It's in, It's already been cleared for, for sequels, right? Yeah, no, it's already blown the barn doors off so much that they're like, Megan 2. Um, and Netflix is over here being like, perfect, subscribe, like we don't already have all of your money. It's, um, it's a theatrical thing. Well, no, I know that, but oh, I'm just yeah. saying yeah, about yeah, yeah, like yeah. Glass Onion. Oh, yeah. Jeez. They could have continued to make money like Avatar making $1.7 Or Megan overperforming, because Glass Onion did gangbusters. The theaters actively asked. No, exactly, but they were like, no, we're going to get those people who aren't subscribed to Netflix to subscribe to Netflix to watch Glass Onion, but plot twist of the century. They watched it once and left. Or everybody who already wanted it already owns it, so therefore you're not really getting any more money. Yeah. Or there were some people who saw that it was in theaters, missed it, and said, well, then I'm not going to go. Or I'm going to watch it at somebody else's house who owns Netflix. Yeah. And I'm going to watch it for free. For free, Netflix. For free. Because even if you crack down on passwords, people will just go over and watch things at other people's house. Yeah. And also, like, you crack down on passwords, sure, whatever. We got, like, five people attached to our Netflix. Come for us. You know, you haven't yet. Um, and so it's, uh... It's it's very interesting, though, that, like, you know, two of the things that are doing so well are a second movie to an original IP uh-huh. and an original horror movie. And they're saving the January box office comparatively. You know? No, they're, yeah, they're I mean, we've great. gone to the, the movies more times in, in December and January than we have in months. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. So I think that, you know, honestly, I think that they've been doing a very successful job. Um, that's just about everything that I have uh, in the chamber for y'all. Um, next week, we're going to be moving on to Stephen's first actual theatrical release, The Sugarland Express. Um, dear, do you have anything for the, for the listeners at home? Um, gosh darn it, I do not. Um, woo! 2023 perfect uh, <laughs> and with that said thank you guys as always um of course go back and listen to our previous episode on the fablemans 
listen to our Jaws episode. Um, and we'll continue to uh, spend January celebrating one of the icons of, of filmmaking that, that still exists with us today, Steven Spielberg. And, uh, and we'll catch you guys next week. Bye! Bye.